The scripture reading tonight will come from 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previous, previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage good warfare, having faith and a good conscience, with some, which some have rejected concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck, of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. The only thing that might be worse than rejecting the gospel outright is embracing the gospel only to neglect it. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Hebrews chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 ask. Peter would write, It would be better not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to have turned our back upon it. 2 Peter 2, 20 through 22. That passage would go on and like, liken the status of such an individual who knew the truth but turned their back on it to a dog returning to its vomit and to a pig that had been cleaned returning to the mud. Paul would say, I discipline my body and bring it under subjection, lest after I preach to others, I myself should be disqualified, 1 Corinthians 9, 27. And then through the Holy Spirit, he would say in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12, let him who thinks he stands take heed, be careful, lest he fall. Just a few passages that speak of the possibility of a spiritual shipwreck. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Timothy 1, 18 through 20. And what I'd like to do tonight is to look at eight principles for avoiding a shipwrecked faith. Eight principles for avoiding a shipwrecked faith. And we'll let the text make the points for us. Number one, avoiding a shipwrecked faith, principle number one. It involves following the orders of our king. If we would avoid a spiritual shipwreck, we need to learn how to follow the orders of our king. If you look at 1 Timothy 1.18, I gave this command. I gave this order. The idea is that of a military command that comes from the top. In this case, King Jesus himself. Revelation 19.16. 1 Timothy 6 verses 15 and 16. If we would avoid a shipwrecked faith... We need to follow the king's orders. Now notice, 
the order that he's talking about, the command that he's talking about goes back to 1 Timothy 1, 3. The charge, the command, the order from up above. Where he says, charge them or command them to teach no other doctrine. As a matter of fact, if you just read the opening seven verses of 1 Timothy chapter 1 and then picked up reading verses 18 through 20, you wouldn't hardly miss a thing. Verses 8 through 17 are when Paul gets off on another subject just momentarily but comes right back to what he'd been dealing with in the opening seven verses. Follow me even as I follow Christ. Paul would write in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1. Jesus would say, Everyone that is fully taught will be like their master, like their teacher. Luke 6 and verse 40. Some people really have a hard time learning to obey. And yet it's due to God's love that he gives us his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. 1 John 5 and verse 3. If you would avoid a shipwrecked faith, learn to follow what God says. Jesus would say in the garden, your will be done. Matthew 26, 39 through 42. Is that what I really want? A person who learns to follow orders of the king really wants to practice that. Number two, consider your life a sacred trust. Look again at 1 Timothy 1.18. Having spoken of the command the order, now he speaks of what has been entrusted to Timothy. You have life given to you in Jesus. Use it well. You are to take the faithful word and to commit it to faithful men who will be able to teach others. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2. Consider life a sacred trust where God has invested his love and blessings in Christ to us. If you think of life as a trust that you manage, then there is the awareness that one day the one who owns it all will ask us how we have managed what he has given us. That's a pretty practical point, isn't it? How will you account to God for what he's committed to our care? Especially spiritual life in Jesus. Keep looking at 1 Timothy 1, 18-20. Here is a third principle for avoiding a shipwrecked faith. Again, number one was follow the orders, the charge, the command of the Lord. Secondly, consider life a sacred trust with its blessings that we'll have to give an account to the owner of life. 
and blessing forth. Third, build people. Build people by giving of yourself to them in the spirit of Jesus. Build people by giving of yourself to them in the spirit of Christ. Let me ask you this. When you're looking at 1 Timothy 1.18, how does he speak to Timothy? He calls him what? My son or my child? Undoubtedly, there is a great relationship there. Most Bible students believe that Timothy may well have been converted through Paul's preaching. But certainly there was a very close relationship that's warm, that's personal, and genuine. It is very crucial for us to give of ourselves in building up others in the spirit of Jesus. That will help us and others to avoid a shipwrecked faith. Jesus went about doing good, Acts 10 and verse 38. Give to others in the spirit of a giving Savior. It's been called the supreme beatitude. And it has to do with the Lord loving a cheerful giver. Acts 20 and verse 35. It seems to me that there needs to be genuine, personal, real relationships. Where we look at each other as family. Where we value each other. It's not cold, it's not corporate, and it's not impersonal. It's real and genuine and warm. By this shall all men know you are my disciples, Jesus said, by your love one for another. It would help avoid shipwreck, maybe our own spiritually, surely that of someone else, when we give of ourselves to build up others in the spirit in which Jesus gave himself. How like Jesus. Number four. Serve in a way that fits your gifts and personality. Serve in a way that fits your gifts and personality. Prophecy is to be tested 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 29. And yet there was a sense in which prophecy had been made concerning Timothy. The Bible doesn't get into that a great deal, so neither will I. But 1 Timothy 4 and verse 14 refers to the incident. Here's what I will say. If we would avoid a shipwrecked faith, Use your talents and personality in a way that fits you. I want to say a couple of things by way of caveat, by way of an extra here. The first one is this. 
I believe that God wires us in certain areas, that he gives us gifts and skills in certain areas in the church. I believe that. It's not miraculous, but in our spiritual DNA, some preachers seem like they are born that way. Others are made over time. Some people seem to be born song leaders. Some are made. Some seem to be born personal workers. Others are made. I think we can look at a number of areas in the church and, and talk about, is, is it a matter of environment or genetics, spiritually speaking? But when you are doing what you are wired to do and love to do, it's hard to get discouraged and down. Isn't that the truth? But if you're not doing something that you're really wired to do, it can be difficult. There's a second point. Probably all of us as Christians will at times have to do things that we are less personally equipped and gifted to do. Doesn't mean that we can't do it. But it does mean that there are things that we are less equipped by personality and talent to do. Here's what I want to add. You listening, Troy? Do what you have to do in serving Jesus for the cause's sake so you can do what you love to do. Do what you have to do for the cause of Christ's sake so you can do what you love to do. Serving in a way that fits your personality and skill set. While some of the people I know who preach would like to be elders, and I know a number of preachers that do a fine job shepherding God's people, never been my desire. I could see it as the perfect way to have a heart attack, just to tell you the truth, or a stroke. And probably Lynn and Terry can understand what I'm saying there. But preaching is what revs me up. It's what lights my fire. It's what I'm passionate about. Do I want to encourage our elders and do I want to encourage godly leadership? Absolutely. But it's an area that I have little desire to pursue personally. It takes all kinds. And in the church, we understand that people have different personalities and gifts. Here's another area to consider. This is number five. When you look at 1 Timothy 1, 18 through 20, it talks about wage the good warfare or fight the good fight. You have fight the good fight of faith in 1 Timothy 6 and verse 12. 
you would have, I finished the course, I fought a good fight, I've kept the faith. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 9. It's not unusual at all for the Word of God to use military illustrations. And there is one right here. Fight the good fight. Wage the good warfare. Well, we don't have to say I'm in it to win it because Jesus has already won. And we are more than conquerors through him, Romans 8, 37 through 39. However, we do not want any Christian to suffer a shipwrecked faith. So fighting a good fight and warring a good warfare may help others who are in the family of God not suffer a shipwrecked faith. Pretty important to think about. And as time has gone on, continuing the military illustration, it's a war, not merely one battle. It's a war, not just a skirmish. Isn't that the truth? Some people become Christians who never have an idea that the conflict continues until we exchange our armor for a robe of white. It's not just the occasional skirmish. There are battles, though we live in the knowledge that we, through Jesus, win the war. It's also a lot like a race. I think that when I really uh, had become a Christian and wanted to preach and had gone to, to school to preach, I could hardly wait to get out of college because I wanted to be preaching. It really never occurred to me that the Lord had waited for several thousand years for me to come on the scene, and he'd done pretty well. And that after I'm gone, he'll probably do pretty well too. I wanted to think of Christianity as a 40-yard dash. And sometimes it is. But Christianity is really a marathon more than the 40-yard dash, isn't it? So when you think about finishing well and not suffering from a shipwrecked faith, how to avoid a shipwrecked faith, consider that truth, that principle. Fight the good fight. And it's interesting how in fighting the good fight, you have a strategy I can assure you that the devil does, 2 Corinthians 2.11, don't be ignorant of his devices, of his strategies, Ephesians 4.27 and 28. Well, what strategy do you have for avoiding a shipwreck spiritually? Number six, right out of the text, it continues... Keep faith and a good conscience. 
Keep faith and a good conscience. Those two go together. They must not be separated. Keep faith and a good conscience. Imagine a soldier throwing away his helmet, throwing away the breastplate, throwing away his sword. Imagine a sailor throwing away his compass, throwing away the rudder. It's heavy. It doesn't make sense. And that's precisely the point. Holding faith. I want you to mark that. Keeping faith in your Bible. There's two different ways it can be taken. And I believe in this instance, both are meant. Keeping the faith. Keeping the body of truth that he had just referred to. In 1 Timothy 1 verse 3, charge them to teach no other doctrine. Doctrine matters. No matter what you may be hearing people say, doctrine matters to God because instruction matters to God. His teaching, His instruction matters. Continue with me. So it means the faith in this sense. The body of truth given to us by God Himself for our instruction. Contend earnestly for the faith once for all delivered. Jude verse 3. Paul spoke in Galatians 1.23 of now being persecuted for the faith that he had once sought to destroy. That was Galatians 1.23. Striving together for the faith of the gospel, Philippians 1.27. But keeping faith not only means keeping the instruction, the truth, it means keeping the truth faithfully. Can God depend on us to be faithful to His Word? So in one sense, it's used, the faith, keeping the faith, in the other sense, it's used keeping faithful and loyal and trustworthy to God. It has been well said, if we keep the faith in a dependable and loyal way, the faith will keep us from shipwreck. It'll give us a safe landing home. Keeping faith and, and what? Something we studied about not too long ago here at Westside in Bible class. A good conscience. The conscience is a safe guide when it is safely guided by the Word of God. The conscience is kind of like a compass. It helps us to find God's due north.
keeping faith and a good conscience. You know, it's possible to have a good conscience and to live sincerely and yet to be sincerely wrong. Acts 23 and verse 1. Acts 24 and verse 16. Paul did a number of things he thought was right by way of conscience, but he was wrong. That's the importance of a properly educated conscience for us to think about. If that could happen to somebody like Paul, it might happen to you and me too. The Bible talks of people having their consciences seared. 1 Timothy 4 and verse 2. If I want to avoid a shipwrecked faith, I will keep faith and a good conscience. A person can have a good conscience without being a faithful Christian, but a person cannot be a faithful Christian without having a good conscience. Number seven. Know there will be casualties. If you would avoid a shipwrecked faith yourself, know that there will be casualties. I would rather die than become unfaithful to my God. I would rather die than become unfaithful to my wife. I would rather die than fail to try to be a faithful Christian for my family, for my friends, and for the church, and most of all, for my God, my Savior. I'd rather die. And yet I've known people that became unfaithful through the years. And sometimes I thought if only they had died sooner. If only they had died sooner. You know, we, we talk about some people that didn't get enough time, it seems, that they'd have only had more time. If only they had died sooner. There are characters that started off marvelously only to suffer shipwreck. No, there will be casualties. And notice what the text says. By rejecting this, and here's the idea, by pushing aside keeping faith and a good conscience, by pushing aside the emphasis that I've been talking about on how to avoid spiritual shipwreck, It involves casting aside, pushing away. I'm sure that if we talk with elders in the church, we will talk with them and they will grieve 
about opportunities that they've tried to bring someone back to the Lord and they felt that they were being pushed away. They're not rejecting godly shepherds. They're rejecting the good shepherd, Jesus. Same expression, rejecting or casting aside or pushing away, it's found in Acts chapter 7. Acts 7, turn there. Acts 7. And look at verse 39 here in Stephen's sermon. Stephen says, Our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust him aside, and in their hearts they turned to Egypt. Look, if you will, at verse 39. Just mention that. Read, look at verse 27, rather. Verse 27 of the same chapter. But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? How Moses was treated when he came to the aid of an Israelite. Look at Acts 13.46. Acts 13.46. Concerning the Gentiles, Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly saying, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, you Jews. Since you thrusted aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. Same term here in 1 Timothy 1, 18-20. It says that they rejected there will be casualties. It won't be too many years before it will be 50 years from the time that I entered Freed Hardeman University to major in Bible. All of the men who were in the Bible classes with me, all of them are not faithful. There have been casualties along the way. We need to understand that there will be casualties in a conflict. That not every runner who begins finishes. But before I leave this point, let me give you this scenario and word of practical advice. Think and pray often, even if blank, 
leads the faith. I will not reject my Lord and Savior and His will. Even if I reject my Lord, I hope that my wife and children and grandchildren will not. Michaela, even if your dad rejects the Lord, not y'all. He's a fine man, known him a long time. He loves Jesus, he loves the Lord, he loves people. But think about who it would be really hard to swallow if they became a casualty and say, I will not fail my Lord because he doesn't fail us. Number eight. He goes on to mention Hymenaeus and Alexander and how they have rejected they have rejected faith, keeping the faith and a good conscience. I think it's interesting that while the Bible does not mention names of those who departed often the Bible does mention names on occasion. And it's one thing to say, well, we need to uphold the principle but not have to mention people. Well, there are times we mention people because we do uphold the principle. And Hymenaeus and Alexander will forever be known as individuals who thrust the faith and good conscience aside from them. Who threw away their faith and good conscience. And who were guilty of speaking against God and His will. Now, it's one thing to think that. But I want you to think about this too. These brothers were obviously well-known brothers and may even have been leaders in the church. It's something to think about. Number eight. Avoiding a shipwrecked faith involves difficult and unpleasant task at times. Avoiding a shipwrecked faith personally involves doing some difficult and unpleasant task at times. In this case, it involved Paul as a preacher of the gospel and an apostle of Jesus, mentioning them, Hymenaeus and Alexander, by name and something of what they did. 
and then the unpleasant and somewhat difficult task of delivering them to Satan. And to put it mildly, they were already with Satan. And what Paul is saying is we will let you have the direction that you want as the church. Church discipline was practiced. See 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 1 through 13. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 14 and 15 especially. Think about Matthew 18, verses 15 through 18. And all of these passages shed light. I delivered them to Satan because they were out of fellowship with God. that they might be taught not to blaspheme. To avoid shipwreck. When you think about a shipwreck, there's the loss of life. There's the loss of things. And Paul knew a lot about literal shipwreck, did he not? At least four times, as far as I can tell, he had to deal with shipwreck. The tragic loss of life and belongings. Because the ship capsized or hit the rocks. We still use terms like that. My faith's on the rocks. We're really going through a stormy time. I am so glad that the Bible says much about how to avoid a spiritual shipwreck. Please pray with me. Father, as this lesson closes, may you be praised and honored and glorified. And may every soul hearing this lesson take seriously the possibility of a shipwrecked faith. May our faith be victorious and constant and true because you, O oh God, Give us victory and are ever constant and true. We look to you and we follow your Son. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Some things are not pleasant lessons to preach. And this would be among them in one way. But it needs to be preached. It really does. We're about to stand and sing our song of encouragement. It may be that someone here tonight needs to put on Jesus in faith and repentance and baptism. If so, please don't delay. Don't wait any longer. And for those of us who are Christians, life won't be smooth sailing as Christians. But Jesus is the anchor that keeps us exactly where we need to be. And he is the helmsman that steers the ship.
we will follow him. Let us stand.